First Chronicles chapter number 16. And um, I tell you what, just just for a moment, I want to because uh, I know some weren't here on Sunday night. I, I want to give you just a little bit of what we preached on Sunday night. I told the church on um, Sunday morning that I would possibly be doing a, a series. And again, I'm not sticking to that. If the Lord leads me in a different direction, I'll, I'll, um, I'll move, move away from it. But I thought it would be nice on at least Wednesday nights, but possibly Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, uh, to go through and uh, find some different words that we may use around this time of the year. And um, Sunday night, I dealt with this thought, the first mention of thanks, the first mention of thanks. So the first time we saw the word thanks in your King James Bible, and I gave the definition of that. I'll kind of reread that. It was kind of long. Um, uh, the the definition, well, I really didn't give you the definition, but rather how many different times it shows up in different um, different words. It's translated as uh, thank, praise, confess, thanking, praised, confession, um, confessed in the past tense, thanksgiving, confesseth, cast, shoot, confessing, and to cast out. And uh, tonight we're going to be dealing with the first mention of thank, not thanks, but thank, T-H-A-N-K. And uh, just to kind of go back and read you that quote that I read on Sunday night by Max O'Rell, he said, People are divided into two classes, those who complain about roses who have thorns and those who rejoice that thorns have roses. And uh, that's kind of where my heart wants to be this Thanksgiving season. Uh, I want to thank God not not necessarily for the thorns, but when I get a thorn, I want to thank God for the robes. It's just above me, amen? And so that's kind of where my heart is in this line of thinking. And so uh, we dealt with, on Sunday night, we dealt with Second Samuel chapter number 20, <clears throat> 22. And uh, this was a, a um, really a psalm of David, a song of of David, and he was giving God thanks, and we dealt with several of those things, and and I'll not bore you with all of those. But tonight, we're still we're dealing with David again tonight, and it's not a a it, it's not at the same time. This is earlier in his life, uh, but we we will find some very similar things. In First Chronicles chapter number sixteen. Now, before I, I, well, let me just go ahead and read verse number one down through verse number seven. So they brought in the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, does anybody find it peculiar who's making the offerings here? Kurt, who made the offering there in verse number 2? David. Okay. Didn't say that the priest did. The prophet didn't, but David did. 
So I haven't completely figured out the importance of that. So we may circle back around to that at some point. But there is some importance there, and you have to go back a little bit to find that. But in verse number 3, and he, he, David, dealt to every man or every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to, here's our word, thank and praise the Lord God of Israel, Asaph the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, uh, Jeel, and Shemaramoth, uh, and uh, Jehiel, and Mattathiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, and Jael with, with psalteries and with harps, but Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Beniah uh, also and Jehazel, the priest, with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you've spoke to me in preparing the message today. And God, we ask you that you'd help us as we try to give it to your people. I pray that you'd help them, Lord, to accept it. I pray that it'll bless them. I pray that it'll challenge them to, to truly give, give thanks and to have that thankful heart tonight. God, we pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to give them exactly what you've given me. And Lord, we pray that you'd guide my thoughts and my steps tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you, as we read through this, these first few verses of chapter 16, uh, if you've read, if you've read your Bible, it may sound familiar, uh, especially as you, you get from verse number one, so they brought the ark of God. Uh, if you were to turn your page or look in the previous chapters, you would find that the ark of God has now come back to Israel. But there is a parallel reading of this in Second Samuel chapter number 6 and chapter number 7. In, in that passage as well as chapter number 15, you find that David and his men, they bring the Ark of the Covenant back from the uh, Philistines and they bring, bring it back to the people of God. And David, in turn, once it's back to God's people, he places it in a tent prepared specifically for the Ark of God. Now, again, if you'll be here during Sunday school, you'll learn about this tent, this tabernacle uh, that God told Moses to make, to build in the wilderness. So I'm not going to ruin anything that Brother Kurt's dealing with in Sunday school, but I highly encourage you to be here. But there, there is a tent. Matter of fact, um, uh, I believe it's in chapter number 7 of Second Samuel. Um, God spoke to the prophet, his name was Nathan, this is after Samuel had died, and Nathan was uh, told by God to tell David that he wanted him to build him a house of cedar. He said, up to this point in the wilderness, up to this point for years upon years, I have come and I have walked with men in a tent, and in a tabernacle. He said, but I want a house. I want a house made with hands, but I want it made specifically for me. 
So we come now to First uh, Chronicles chapter 16. Nathan has already given him this instruction from God. And David is, he is setting about doing what he's supposed to do to make this tabernacle or to this temple, if you will. But before he can ever get there, Mr. Nisha, he, he's, he's got a temporary dwelling place for the tabernacle, the ark of God, which in their minds was the presence of God. And so he, he's got a tent specifically for this, and we find that in verse number 1. But he then begins to set about moving men and earth. You could say he moves heaven and earth to make sure things are happening so that God's temple is made, so that God has a place to come and dwell. We find in verse number 2 that David made an end of offering. So we know that he made burnt offerings. We find this earlier in David's history as well. And and I'll go ahead and tell you this. The reason that we find David doing this, Saul tried this. Saul tried this. But Saul, at this point, uh, God's hand was taken off of Saul. And Saul was the king. But David was the king priest or the priest king, however you want to call it. He had an anointing from God. He was the man after God's own heart. And so God gave him permission to do some priestly things. So that's why you find David making sacrifices and dictating what's going to be done in the temple. Okay, so, so that's why we find this. There was no, uh, there was no high priest at the time. There was, there, there was a lack of some organization. So David was that man and David was setting up the organization because it had been torn down under years of neglect. So David now in verse number four is where I want to get to. He appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to think and praise the Lord God of Israel. So tonight I'm just going to give you two points and then I'll conclude the message with a few statements. But number one tonight, who were these men? He says, and he appointed certain of the Levite. So just to kind of clean house this evening, who were these men? Number one, well, of course, these were Levites. These were members of the tribe of Levi. These were uh, the sons of Jacob. Jacob had a son named Levi. And uh, Jacob was, uh, you remember, he had those 12 sons that became the 12 tribes, the 12, le- 12 leaders of Israel. And so of the tribe of Levi, they became that priestly tribe. And uh, Aaron, back in the Exodus, in the early books of the book of Exodus, you find that Aaron was the high priest, and he was a Levite by by genealogy, the bloodline. He he was a Levite, and he was not only the first priest, but he was the first 
high priest, okay? And so uh, we find that the Levites, through you, you start looking at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you'll find that there's some things that the Levites n- must do. This was their job, if you will. Uh, the other tribes, they were out, they were tilling the ground. Uh, they were, they were, um, uh, some were, some were farmers, some, uh, they grew cattle, some were, some did this, some did other things, but the job of the people of the Levites, they were tending to the temple. So they were musicians, they were gatekeepers, gate of the tabernacle, uh, gate of the temple. Uh, they were guardians, they were temple officials, they were judges, uh, and they were craftsmen. Anything that needed to be made for God to be consecrated to God in the work of God, they had to make it. They had to learn to make it. And uh, so just because they were um, a one tribe, don't think for a moment that God uh, said that, well, you're just a, uh, you're just the least amongst the least. least. They were metal workers and they were carpenters and there were all kinds of other talents within this one particular tribe. And so, uh, who are these men? These were men that were to look after the house of God, the things of God, God's Word, okay? And so, we're going to circle back around to that in just a little bit. Number two, I told you I only have two points, so we're running well. Number two, what was their function? Well, I just told you that, that, that some of their jobs were to be a musician, gatekeeper, guardian, judge, a craftsman. But I want to focus in tonight on this temple official. On this temple official, what, what were their, what was their function? To be a temple official. So now let's look back at our text. And he appointed certain of the Levites, here we go, to minister before the Lord. Is that what your Bible says? For the ark of the Lord. To minister. This word minister, it means to attend. It means to worship. It means to contribute in worship. Or it means to serve. Now, we're going to look at at several of these things here in verse number four. And I I don't want you as people that are not preachers. I don't want you to think, well, this lesson is just about what? what pastors should do as as the overseers of the church. I don't want you to start looking at it that way. I want you to look at it as you are the priest of your own temple, okay? Uh, your body is a temple, all right? And so you need to be making sure that your body is taken care of. Now, this is this ain't Billy Blanks. We're not Tybo with Billy Blanks tonight. We ain't doing no, no nothing like that. This is not diet class this evening, but God knows I can't teach that class. Can somebody give me a come on? All right? So that's not what I'm talking about, but we need to, we need to care for our own temples, okay? Spiritually speaking, as well as physically, but spiritually speaking tonight, that's what we need to deal with, and that's where I want our minds to go. And so, we're talking about the word thank. And David basically ordered some people specifically to thank God for some things. So, we're looking at these people, and we're looking now at what they were to do. The first thing that they were to do is to minister. And again, this is to attend, not show up. That's not what this word means. 
Not just show up. Anybody can show up. This word attend, if you, if you go to, and I've never been to one of these, but if you go to uh, maybe a fancy hotel or you go to a fancy restaurant or something like that, you have an attendant. And they are there to attend to you. They are there to make sure that your needs are met. You may call him a maitre d' or something like that. There's that. That's that weird dude that stands in the men's bathroom at fancy hotels and restaurants with his um, tuxedo, and he's got a towel around him, and he's asking you if you want a towel or perfume in the men's. Don't talk to me in the men's bathroom. Can somebody help me right there? Okay, I don't even want a hello in there. Just. But he gets paid because he's an attendant. He is attending to the clients, not the clients of the restroom, but of the hotel or the facility that may be there. He is attending to the needs. And so this Levite is, when he is ministering, he is attending to the temple. In the tabernacle, they attended to the fire. They made sure the fire never ran out. They made sure the wood was clave, cut. They made sure that they had the right type of wood. They made sure that the fire was stoked. They made sure that it wasn't out of hand. Somebody better help me tonight. Because we need the right type of fire. Y'all going to get what I'm getting because I'm going to come down there with you. We need the right type of fire. Okay? We need to make sure that the fire doesn't get out of hand. We don't need wildfire. We don't need strange fire. We need to make sure that the fire is what God wants in this thing individually and collectively as a church. So these these Levites, they were to attend not only with that, but they once the fire uh, burned for one day, they, again, they kept the fire going, but they took those ashes and those ashes were consecrated because they were from that holy fire and they took them and they didn't just go outside and throw them, but they took them to a another consecrated place and they took those ashes out and they put them in that other holy place. So even the things that are left over in our lives that seem to be spent, God can still use in somebody else's life. Amen? And so these Levites, they were uh, they were to attend in the sanctuary. Uh, they were to worship. Now, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to be very, very easy. I went to church in Tennessee with a gentleman. And, uh, man, when he would preach and when he would sing, he would get in it forevermore. Eric, he'd, uh, woo! I mean, he would just, but if he wasn't preaching or singing, he'd sit there and look at me like you're looking at me, Brother Jody. Just, I mean, he wouldn't, no, no facial features, no nothing. If I cracked a joke, he just nothing. And, and I don't crack jokes. I'm just, I just, am, I'm an idiot. So it just comes out funny sometimes. And I mean, just nothing. But when it comes time to worship, he only worshiped if he started it. Everybody else can be having church, and he'd sit there. Now, whether he's right or he's wrong, that, that's between him and God. But if you're going to be a, if you're going to minister in the house of God, you need to be able to worship. Everybody's not going to worship like me. I know that. Okay? I know that. 
So you don't have to make that argument with me. I know that. I've been in this thing long enough to understand that. But there should be some worship somehow. Okay? I, I, Brother, Brother Terry, I, sometimes I look back there at him, and, and I don't know that you're a very emotional man, but sometimes I look back there at you, and you got just tears. just Your face is red and tears running down. I don't know what's going through your mind, but as far as I'm concerned, you're worshiping. You may not be. You might have stubbed your toe or something. I don't know. But it looked like worship to me. But these, these Levites worshipped God. But listen to this. They also contributed to worship. So what that meant was, and, and, and I told somebody at a meeting yesterday morning, I said, there is, there is not probably a week or there's not a service or two that goes by that I don't think about John Dent. Now John Dent, he was kind of the opposite of the other man. Everybody else can be dead as a doornail, and and he might not even be feeling it. But he wasn't going to let you or the devil know he wasn't feeling it. He'd get up and shout anyhow. But what he would do is he would try to contribute to you worshiping. So if you started shouting or you said amen, he would help you. And that's what contributing to worship is. That's what we ought to do. And then to serve. I'll say this. Y'all can write this down. And in this, I'm putting this as a pastor, okay? But I think it goes all the way down. If you're too good to clean the toilet at church, you ain't good enough to stand behind the pulpit. Y'all hear me? If you're if you're too good to clean the toilet at the church or pick up vomit or something like that, you don't need to be singing over here. I think we ought to serve. I think we ought to serve. I could I I don't know how y'all believe and, and I mean I I'm not gonna force this on you, but I grew up some of y'all gonna give me a dirty look. I grew up when we had communion, we also had foot washing. Anybody ever have foot washing in here? Yeah, a couple of y'all have foot washing. And it wasn't no joke. We turned the whole pew around on both sides. Men on that side, the women on that side. And the men would sit over there, and them old deacons, them old men, they would get down there, and I was just a little squirt, but they would get down there. I was saved. Them old men, they'd get down there, and they'd pull my shoes off. And they would wash my feet. That's humility. They proved to me then that they would serve. You don't even hardly hear about that anymore. And we ain't going to have no foot washing here. Okay, so. But now if you need me to wash your feet, I'll wash them. At this point in my life, I'll probably squirm a little bit, but I will wash them. I don't even. mm -mm. To serve. We need to serve. Now we're talking about thank. Okay? We're going to get there, I promise. I only got two points, but I didn't tell you this one was like 45 minutes long. The next thing he says, And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record. 
I'm going to get through this one quick. This word record, it, we know what it means. It means to write down, to, to make a record of, okay, to keep record of. But, but I found some things that I, I, I found interesting, so I'm just going to give them to you and, and then kind of go. Uh, this writer, I, I, I believe it was John Gill, but I could be wrong. No, this was from the biblical illustrator. Um, it says, these recorders were to take notes of what God had done. They were to be the chron- chronicler, chronicler, they were to write down things for the nation. And out of these chronicles, they were to compose the psalms and songs. The original of the word record bears another meaning, to bring remembrance. So when when he said that, it got me to thinking, what is the root? And anytime I see the 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 R E in front of something, I, I think of, okay, again, you know. Uh and, and that's not always the case, but in, in this case, the word record it means to recall. So this has record, it it's two Two parts put together. Re is to bring again. And then cord or core or cardia. So let me put this together. Re means to bring again. Cord means heart. Now, Ashlyn, you put those together. That doesn't mean to bring a heart again, but what it does mean is to tell the heart again of the happenings of the past. And he says, boys, I want y'all to minister before the ark of God. And he said, and I want y'all to write down all of the things because, and I don't know that I wrote it down. I don't think I did. I meant to. Because our memories are fading. They're fleeting. The one writer that I had it highlighted in, he said that, that our memories began to fall, to fail at the fall. And he said, in relation with things of God, our memory seems to be so short. I mean, you think about it. You start going through such a trial today, and you'll seemingly forget everything that you've that He's already blessed you with in the past. And, and thankfully, that Holy Ghost reminds you. Now, don't forget, you remember what He did yesterday or last week or last year. But in the, in the heat of the moment, we forget. But David said, boys, listen, I know we're going to forget some things, but I need you all to put your minds together, and I need you to go back as far as you can remember, and I need you to go back as far, go all the way back to Moses, chapter number 17, where I read the other day. He said, remember when God told Moses to write this for a memorial in a book? He said, I need you to go all the way back to there, and then go even further if you can, and write it down, because we're going to have to be reminded because our hearts are going to fail. So I need you to tell our hearts once again. He said, I want you to record some things. But then he said this. He said, he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. And to record and to thank. This word thank in this usage, 
It literally means to use the hand. To use the hand. And so when I saw that, I thought, okay, what does that mean? So I started digging a little bit more. And it means to take one's possession and hand it to another. And so in this case, they were, they were instructed specifically to, to, um, uh, to take the, the record of God's blessing, past and present, and keep them before the people. And then as a result of that, they were to present God with their gratification or their gratitude on behalf of the people of God. So they were to take and bundle up all of the thankfulness of the people and give it to God. Next, he says, and praise the Lord God of Israel. So we look back at this word thank. It would do us good. You know, the Scripture tells us in the New Testament, it tells us to cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. It'd do us good to take, in addition to all that care, it'd do us good to take all that gratitude that we can muster and cast it upon the Lord. And say, God, this belongs to You. God, I'm handing it to You. God, I'm thanking You. And he said, praise this word praise, it means to be clear as in transparent. It means to be clear. There's no shadow of restraint. There's no shadow of restraint. So when you praise God, when these men praised God, they had, they had already written down, they had already taken a record of the blessings of God. They had already offered God gratitude by thanking Him, and now they were to praise God. So they had a very clear understanding of why they wanted to worship God. There was no shadow of restraint in their praise to God. And I want you to know today, if you will just let loose, let go of everything, and say, God, there's a whole lot of things going on, but for this I want to praise you. You don't have to list everything, but settle on one thing and praise God for that one thing. If you run, if you can't, if you can't think of anything and you're saved, go back to the day that you got saved and thank God for that. Go back to the day before you got saved and say, God, thank you for getting me out of that mess. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for picking me up. Thank you for pulling me out of that miry clay. Thank you for this one thing. And I promise you, if you'll be clear, transparent, with no shadow of restraint, God will honor those things. The word praise, it means to causatively celebrate. There's no other reason reason but God's blessing. Nobody told you to. Nobody's forcing you to do it. You're just simply uh, urged by the blessing of God to praise Him. The word praise, it means to make one a fool. Mm-hmm. Been there. Luke stays at our house a lot of times. Boy, especially if it's just me and him, because he can't tell nobody. 
Boy, I make some faces at him. Looking like a fool. But you know, when you praise God, you don't look normal. Next time you get in the Holy Ghost, find you a mirror and tell me how goofy you look. Face off. You women, your eyes start turning black. Stuff running out your face. You get all puffy, red eyeball. Looking ugly. When you praise God, you will look the part of a fool, but know that to truly praise God, your flesh must be embarrassed. Yesterday, I was at uh, Holy Ground Baptist Church up in uh, Rootville. Big old church. Kurt, you've been there. Big old, big old honking church. And uh, this thing was full. There wasn't, wasn't hardly any space left. And uh, I knew several of the people there. And uh, these folks were getting up to sing. I didn't know the folks were singing. They started with that song, The Love of God. Oh, my mercy. That forevermore, that's one of my favorite songs. And they wasn't, they wasn't doing anything to the song. They were singing it just like it. But she had just a tender voice. She, I mean, she was almost whispering the song. And there was something about it. Man, it got all over me. I was sitting there. And man, it did all, everything I could do. And before long, I'm standing up. Woo! Praise the Lord. And I looked around. Wasn't nobody else. Now, they were crying and they were amen and they were waving their hands and everything, but I was the only one standing. It didn't bother me, but it made me look like a fool. But you know, the purity in that is I did look like a fool. So according to the Bible definition, I was truly praising God. I could have waited until everybody else praised, you know, got up on their feet and started, and then I could have just went on right on into that emotional side of things. It felt strange. It felt strange. But in just a few minutes, everybody else, they started standing, and they started shouting. That's too late. I already had my time with the Lord. Psalm 33, 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, all ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Hunter, if you ever get plugged in, you start praising the Lord, you'll look, you'll look uglier than you already look. But according to the scripture, it says it's beautiful. Comely. Psalm 147, 1, we read this just the other day, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praise unto God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. Beautiful. Not to us, but to God. So, I'll say this in closing tonight. As far as I know, there's no Levites by birth here this evening. Um, as far as I know, I'm the only pastor here, the only one that's, that's, that's been a pastor. Um, so, if anybody fits this description, it'd probably be me. Um, so, with that said, I'm here to remind you of a couple things. I'm here to bear record. 
I'm here to remind your heart of the blessings that God has given. I'm here to remind you that a year ago, Stan, that your life could have been stamped out. I'm here to remind you in 2020, you could have died in a house over yonder. I'm here to remind you, Jody, that 15 years ago, your life was completely different. We could go on and on. See, I'm, I'm here to remind you. That's why God gave you a pastor. To, to remind you of some things. To bear record of some things. But also to minister. To, to help you with some. To serve along with you. To worship with you. To encourage you to, to worship. And then worship beside you. But not only that. But I'm here to thank God and to praise Him when you forget to thank God and praise Him. I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I may have, maybe speaking out of term, but I don't know that I've ever said this. In Knoxville, Tennessee, at a Japanese buffet, Dean McNeese on one side of the table, James Burke on the other side. Dean McNeese had a full plate of food, and I'm sitting there, Scared to death because he's asking me, are you going to South Georgia or are you going to stay here and be out of the will of God? And uh, my answer that day, and I know I've told you this part, my answer that day was not right now. And I told him that. Probably one of the stupidest things I've ever told him. Not right now. And I began to tell him all, all these different things, reasons to stay. And then I began to tell him all of the things, reasons that, that I wish could change up there. And he brought in this, this tribe of the Levites. And he said, he said, you're having to study on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. And Sunday afternoons in order to barely get by preaching to this church because you're having to work three jobs. He said, but there's a church in South Georgia that wants you to work in the Word of God. They don't want you to work out in the fields. They don't want you to work out there with them. They want you to have something for them when they get to church. I stopped eating by this time. And that fool still. And I said, well, what about... And he said, well, there's a church down in South Georgia. And he brought in this tribe of Levi again. And everything that I said had to do with this tribe of Levi. And he said, your job as a pastor should not entail three secular jobs and then try to pastor on the side. He said, your job as a man of God should be in the Word and on your knees, trying to hear from God, trying to study, 
And do what God wants you to do because you got some people that's been in the world, been in the fields all week long. See, they were one tribe out of 12. So there were 11 other tribes out there. They were working and they were toiling. But when they got to the temple, the temple was already prepared. The word was already prepared. They had already prepared the fire, prepared the scripture, prepared in prayer, prepared the sacrifice. And he said, you got a church in South Georgia that's just waiting for you to get down there and get to work. So. Here we go. These Levites, they weren't just any of the people. They had some specific jobs. And one was to thank God specifically for things that He had done. Tonight, though, I beg you to thank God. But when you fail to, just know when... When you're not thinking about it, when you've forgotten about it, you got somebody that's over on the south side of town that's praying for you, that's thanking God for what He's doing in your life, and that's praising God for the goodness that He showed to you. I will say this. There's a sad note about this. Second Chronicles chapter number 16, I believe, is where we're at. Is that right? If you were to turn over to Second Chronicles chapter number 22, 17, 18, 19, 24, six chapters later, you'll find that David declared that because of his sin, not necessarily his sin with Bathsheba, but his sin of murder, God told him he is no longer able to build that tabernacle or that temple. He said, David, you can't do it anymore. Got blood on your hands. So that may not may not be relevant necessarily to the message or even to you tonight, but I will say this, just kind of in passing right before we stand. If God's put his hand on you and he's called you to do a work You better do it. Do it to the best of your ability. If I could say it like this, keep your nose clean. Keep living right. Because you never know. Six chapters away, temptation may come and you may fall. So if you can keep living right and keep in the Word, you can just turn the page from chapter 22 to chapter 23 and just keep right on going. Keep right on doing what God wants you to do. Let's stand. Something was said at the meeting the other day, yesterday, and uh, I, I don't know what I want to do with it. I don't know if I want to preach on it or if I want to have somebody else come and preach on it. But they said that we know the Scripture that God will work all things together for our good. Romans eight twenty eight. He said, but I would much rather God work in some things than for God to have to work out some things. He said, what I mean by that, he said, I'd rather stay in the will of God and stay where God works so God can work in me 
than to get out of God's will and to get out of God's plan and then God have to work out some things. Y'all think about that tonight. So we're dealing with thanks. Thanks.